Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. So good to be with you this morning. Excited to open up God's Word with my church family. Excited for the opportunity from Pastor John to allow me to speak. And what an incredible opportunity we have to kick off the new year tomorrow. And the question we're going to look at today, though, is what is first in your life? So we start the new year, the new day. We're going to look to the book of Haggai. Yes, I said that, Haggai. And so go ahead and turn to the table of contents in your Bible. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Look for Haggai. It's in the Old Testament. Go ahead and turn there, finding table of contents. For me, it is page, I don't have, 873, if that helps you at all. But we're going to be there in Haggai this morning, excited to look at what he has to say to us, excited for God's word. And as you're turning there, I know you're going to go ahead and keep turning, but I want you to stand with me as we just read God's word this morning. It'll be on the screen if you're not quite ready yet, and you'll have time to find it, I promise. But let's all stand together as we read God's word. We're just going to read the first verse. It says, in the second year of Darius, the king... On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, isn't that powerful right there? That's good, isn't it? That's all you needed today, right? That is so, so good. I'm excited. Let's bless the word this morning, and then I've got something for you to watch. And so, Father, we're so thankful for your word. It is good. It is true. And, Lord, it's for us today. God, we receive it. Would every heart, mind, and ear be attentive, receptive, and respond to the Holy Spirit's leading. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we all said this morning. Amen. You guys have a seat. And here's what I have for you. I know that we've got a lot of generations in the room, so we're going to teach a different kind of style just to show our kids, you know, and engage them and also engage some of you adults as well in this room. But I've got a thing called the Bible Project I want to show you. And this is kind of a bonus thing for me. It's a video and it kind of recaps the book of the Bible, Haggai. There's one of these for every single book of the Bible. And so if you want to start up the new year, say, hey, we're going to put God first. We're going to start looking at books of the Bible. These videos you can play every single day. You can go to the Bible Project. And see them, but our team's going to play it right now to give you an overview of where we are with Haggai. The book of the prophet Haggai. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but crucially important in the overall story of the Hebrew Bible. So for centuries, the Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice, and they warned that God would send the great empire of Babylon to take out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and haul off the people into exile. And it all happened in the year 587 BC. But that wasn't the end of the story. The prophets also believed that there was still hope and that God would one day bring back a transformed remnant of his people Israel to live in a new Jerusalem where God's presence would live in their midst. Now when we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 BC, nearly 70 years after the exile. And the Babylonian empire has recently collapsed and the world is now ruled by the Persians. Now they allowed the return of any exiled Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem which still lay in ruins. And so under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, an heir from the line of David, and a group of exiles, they all returned and began to rebuild the city and their lives. Remember the story from the book of Ezra chapters 1 to 6. So our hopes are high and the future seems very bright, but it's not actually, at least from Haggai's point of view. The book consists of four sections that summarize Haggai's message given to the people of Jerusalem over the course of four months. 
He opens by accusing the people of misplaced priorities. And so yes, they have come back to Jerusalem, but they're spending all of their time and resources rebuilding their own fancy houses, while the temple still lay in ruins from its destruction from 70 years ago. So Haggai asks, are your own houses really more important than your allegiance to God? This neglect, Haggai says, is tantamount to the covenant rebellion of their ancestors, which is why the land is still unproductive, why they've been struck with famine and drought. And here Haggai's quoting from the list of covenant curses in the book of Deuteronomy. And so Haggai's challenging words, they're followed by a story of the people's response. Remember also the story in Ezra chapter 5. We're told that Zerubbabel, Joshua, the remnant of the people were provoked by Haggai's message and they were motivated. They started rebuilding the temple. So in the next section, Haggai follows up one month later and he addresses some problems of shattered expectations among the people. So the temple that they're rebuilding is really pretty unimpressive. It's nothing compared to the glory of the temple Solomon built here some 500 years earlier. And so morale was really low for finishing the project. And so Haggai reminds the people of the great prophetic promises of the future kingdom of God and about this temple. He draws from the earlier prophets, especially Isaiah and Micah, about the new Jerusalem and that it would be the place from which God would redeem the whole world and where all nations would come and participate in God's kingdom resulting in an era of peace. And so the temple, it plays a key role in God's plans for the future. And Haggai calls on the people to work in hope despite the disappointing circumstances. In the third section, Haggai follows up two months later with a call to covenant faithfulness. And he engages some priests in a conversation about ritual purity. Remember all the key ideas from the book of Leviticus. So he says, if someone goes and touches a dead body and becomes ritually impure or marked by death, and then they go and touch some food, is that food impure too? And the priests, knowing the book of Leviticus, say, yes, it's impure. And then Haggai turns this into a parable. He says, this is how it is with the people of Israel and what they're putting their hands to in rebuilding the temple. If the current generation doesn't humble themselves, if they don't turn from injustice and apathy, then Haggai says whatever they build with their hands, including this new temple, will be impure too. Haggai's challenge is that it's only by true repentance and covenant faithfulness that their building efforts will result in God bringing his kingdom and blessing. And so in a sense, Israel's future lay in their hands. God's waiting for his people to be faithful. And so the choice that Haggai's laying before the exiled generation, it's very similar to the challenge Moses gave the wilderness generation before entering the land. Their obedience will lead to blessing and success while faithlessness will lead to ruin. The book concludes with Haggai's summary of the future hope of God's kingdom. He's going to make the new Jerusalem the center of his glorious international kingdom. And from there he will confront and defeat evil among the nations. He reminds people of the defeat of Pharaoh's army in the Exodus story. God will fulfill here his promise to David and establish the king from his line. And in Haggai's day that was represented by Zerubbabel. And so the book ends with the choice of a bright future just hanging there. So the question is, will Haggai's generation be faithful to God? Will they experience the fulfillment of all these promises? And Zerubbabel, will he be faithful? <coughs> will he turn out to be the messianic king? And you have to just keep reading into the final two books of the prophets, Zechariah and Malachi, to find out. But you can see how this little book contains a great challenge to every generation of God's people, that our choices really matter and that the faithfulness and obedience of God's people is part of how God has chosen to work out his purposes in the world. 
And so this surprising truth should motivate humility and action in God's people as they look forward to God's coming kingdom. And that is the message of the book of Haggai. All right, you're all Bible scholars now, right? Man, I just love that resource. That's just something you can pick up and use for your family for your own devotional time. It's really good. And today we're going to look at chapter 1, the first part of what Haggai talked about. And so just to catch you up with what that video said is that the Jews have returned from captivity. They have turned back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, to rebuild the culture, their customs, to rebuild the temple of God. If you read in Ezra, two years they worked on the temple of the Lord. They built a foundation and they built an altar, but then they neglected it. And I have to ask the question, how did they end up this way? How did 15 years go by that they kept on doing what they've always been doing and they did not touch the work of the Lord. And so I want us to learn today, just from this, uh, this passage, this text, things that they did wrong so that we can get it right. So the first thing we see is that they mismanaged their time. It says in verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? So for 15 years, they have flourished and done what they've always done. They went back to their homes. They built incredible homes of luxury and security. They have shops open. They have commerce. Their culture is back. Their customs are back. Everything is going incredible. They're working on the harvest, the planting, the crops. Everything is going the right way. But Haggai shows up and says, it's time to put first things first. What incredible message for us as Christians as we start the new year to make sure that our priorities, that everything we do, that God is the center of it all, that God is the first and the foremost because we're going to learn what happens when he's not. So the years passed, society came back to some sense of normalcy, and the people, here's what's interesting, they didn't argue that the temple needed to be rebuilt. And I think we'd all agree the work of God needs to be done, amen, church? Man, God has got an incredible work for this church, and that's you. He's got an incredible calling on your life that he has given you. The problem we have in America especially is we're so busy that we say, who has time for that? Who has time to go make disciples of all nations? Who has time to be about the kingdom of God when there's the kingdom of self that I've got to take care of first? It's astounding to me that they didn't argue the need for the work of the Lord, but they just said it's just not the right time. And man, the Holy Spirit, as I started this, began to speak to me and say, what about you, Cody? What about you, the last years that you've been saved, your lifetime, what have you truly done? Have you put me first and foremost, or am I an afterthought? And what a challenge for us as a church today, to see what we do with our time, where we spend all of our time. Have we made covenants and promises and resolutions to God? Have we committed things to God like the day that we were saved? They said, God, I'm going to love you first and foremost and always. And where do we stand today? Have we truly sought the Lord? Have we truly pursued him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What an incredible challenge that this teaches us to look up and to say, wow, where has the time gone? Just imagine Haggai, he's sitting there telling them, hey, it's been 15 years. They probably thought, there's no way, right? How has it possibly been 15 years since we have even touched the work of God? But I guarantee you, if we were to ask you, you could have so many testimonies in here of people who have said, man, there were so many things that I wanted to do. So many things I desired, I wished for, that I wanted to pursue for God. 
I had so many goals and dreams. And I looked up, and now it's too late. Now my life has flashed before my eyes. Because life is but a mist, but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. I love this, though, that God's given you today. No matter what we've done with our time, God is able with the breath in your lungs today to use you for his glory and for your good. That's the God that we serve. It's not a guilt trip. It's a God of grace and mercy that even though we have neglected the things of God, the commitments to God, the promises we have made to him to get involved in church, to tie to the Lord, to, to serve in the church, to go out and be a witness, to go on a mission trip. God says, if you've got breath in your lungs today, guess what? I can still use you. What a good God that we serve today. And man, we could stop right here with the entire sermon, right? That'd be enough just to say, man, would we just recommit that this year that God is going to be first in our life? He's going to be first and foremost in everything that we do. Some of us, if we're honest, we began a relationship with God and we started it off right, just like the work on the temple. But that's as far as our relationship has gotten. We're not in the word of God. We're not in prayer. We make it to church every once in a while. We're not really involved in life group or in serving or in leading or giving to the church or being a part of the work of God. Can I tell you that God is so much more for you and it's only in obedience to him, giving him your all, making him first on the throne of your heart that you'll find blessing in all that you do. They said it's not the time. It's not the time. And so as a church, would the word just call us to just refocus and reprioritize and reorient our lives to see that God is the biggest thing. He's the biggest thing in our lives. Kids, you guys like airplanes? We got one that loves airplanes, okay? Caleb loves airplanes, okay? I don't even know what kind of plane this is. I'm sure somebody can tell me. Well, you'll tell me after service. That's fine. But there's this airplane rule in aviation. It's called the 1 in 60 rule, okay? And I learned this, and what it means is this. It says if I'm aiming at a target, let's say the Christmas tree over here, it says for every one inch that I deviate one degree off course, after 60 miles, I'll be off a mile. That doesn't sound like much, right? But if I take off, right, not in this plane, hopefully, but in a commercial one, from New York all the way to Tokyo, if I'm off one degree the entire flight, I'm off 112 miles when I land. And I think a lot of us in life, we've drifted. I think the hymn writer would even t tell us, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I think a lot of us, if we really reflect on our lives today, we would notice, how did I get off course? It's a slow and gradual, day-by-day -day drift. So I just want to encourage you today as you look at, how do I manage my time? It's each and every day. Each and every day, focus on the Lord. Set yourself before the Lord. Get in the Word of God. Get in prayer. Do something for God every single day, and you won't go wrong. Serve Him. Put Him first. They mismanaged their time they drifted away from God's agenda to their own. And our hearts are always going to be bent towards us, towards the things right in front of us. I found some stats of some New Year's resolutions that will be up on the screen. And this is kind of just a survey of what the world, America especially, that Forbes did. They found that out of all the different resolutions people have, I'm sure maybe you have a word or a phrase, right, uh, or a goal in mind. Surely you have something you're striving for this year. The greatest thing was to improve fitness, amen, right? Improve finances, improve mental health, lose weight, improve diet, and you can see it goes on and on. And so it looks to me like the desires, the goals of the world are to have happiness and healthiness 
but we've neglected the holiness of God. And how much more would it be if we strive toward holiness that everything else would work out? Man, in our holiness, our pursuit of God is where God works. Man, you want to see God move in your life? Yes, those are, those are great goals. There's nothing wrong with those. But is God the thing you want more than anything else? Israel, for 15 years, didn't touch the work of God. And you know what happened? They got used to it. They got used to walking by the temple and thinking nothing of it. They got used to the foundations being overgrown with weeds, and it was simply a symbol of their spiritual condition, a word called apathy. It's when we become indifferent to the things of God. There's not a passion. There's not a fire. There's not something lit underneath us, a desire and a drive to see God do a work in us and through us. One really well-known pastor, Timothy Keller, said this. He said, the greatest threat to the American church is not the atheism outside the church, but the apathy inside the church. Haggai appears on the scene, and he says, church, it's time to put first things first. To be about the work of the Lord. We learn from this. We also learn that these people began to mistake their treasure. It says in verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Reflect, right? You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes in it. The people of Haggai's time had carried on with their normal day-to-day lives. They went to work every day. They showed up. They raised their kids. They had their homes. They had their lifestyles. They had everything. And yet they were still empty. And can I tell you, when God is not first, you forfeit your fulfillment. When God is not first in your life, you truly forfeit all your fulfillment. Because guess what? You can have all the things. You can work hard. You can, you can hustle. You can bustle. You can raise your family, have kids, have relationships, have status, have fame, have the house, the car, the job, the career, the money. You can have it all. But without Jesus Christ, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Over the Christmas break, I like to snack a little. And I love my kids, and they're in this room today. I don't know which one of them did it, so I'm not going to call them out. But I went to the pantry, right, expecting to get some snacks. And I opened up the pantry, and in there for a little while has been this box of Cheez-Its. Anybody amen? Got some Cheez-Its up in there. And I remember grabbing this box, right, and I grabbed it, and guess what? It's empty. There's crumbs in there. And I'm like, who didn't put this in the trash? Reach for the Pringles, same thing. I can't tell you truly, this is what our life is if this is what we chase. If it's not God, if we're not chasing him, we're going to finally get to that point where we think we've got it and we're going to find out it's nothing. It's empty. There's no satisfaction. There is no fulfillment. And you can chase the world your entire life. But can I tell you this? Man, as hard as we hustle, as we bustle as a society, as we set goals and chase after things, can I tell you this? None of it's chasing you. None of it cares about you. But can I tell you that the entire Bible is a story of God chasing you? Man, that's the God that we serve, right? And and how crazy is this to me, right? It doesn't even make sense to me that God existed before everything. 
He says, I am. He's always been. He always will be. And God had the thought to one day create Cody. And he knew that Cody would sin. He knew that Cody would be faithless. He knew that Cody would fall short of the glory of God. So he sent Cody, Jesus Christ, to die for me, for my sin. And even after salvation, guess what? Cody is still not going to be perfect. And yet he's going to chase me every single day. See, I don't want guilt to motivate you. I want the grace and mercy of God to drive you, to understand that the creator, right? We came and and rationalized this. The creator thought of you. You exist today. You have breath in your lungs. He makes your heart beat in your chest. I don't even know how that happens, right? God just said it's going to happen. He knit you in your mother's womb while at the same time knowing the number of hairs on your head and causing the entire universe to spin. Our God is a big and great God. And how incredible that the entire story of the Bible is him pursuing you. Can we just get real for a minute? That's incredible. That this creator, who's done no wrong, who's been perfect, who's only given and given and given us everything in life, sent his son Jesus because we couldn't get to him to die for us. And here's the incredible thing. Not only does he save us and pursue us in that way, but even after we're saved, he says, I'm going to keep pursuing you because you're my bride. You're my chosen ones because I love you. And so I'm going to give you a spirit. I'm going to dwell inside of you. And I'm going to compel you. I'm going to comfort you. And I'm going to correct you because I love you. God's pursuing you right now. And every single moment that you have breath in your lungs, he's pursuing you and he is chasing you. And well, today we just turn towards him instead of run from him. Instead of like Adam and Eve running in the garden away from God, where God initiated the first missionary effort to say, where are you? But we say, God, here am I today. And I'm going to put you first. They'd mistaken their treasure. They chased after so many things. And I love that it's not only that. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died for us, rose from the grave. But then the message of the story of him pursuing us continues because you sit here today. Because somebody told you about Jesus. Somebody was bold enough and cared enough about Jesus and about you to say, I've got a purpose, I've got a calling in my life to tell people to speak the name of Jesus. Somebody told you about salvation in his name, the free gift of everlasting life, and you sit here today, you stand redeemed because someone spoke the words of Jesus Christ. You're sent, church. You're sent into everything that you do, everywhere that you go. You're sent with God with you always. What are we doing with that? And the Holy Spirit just convicted me in an incredible way, saying, Cody, you go to work every day, you go home every single day, right? I do a lot. I feel like I'm a good guy, right? Man, I provide for my family. I go to work. I work hard. I do all that I can. But God would say this, if I'm not first, then it's all futile. It's all for nothing. Even in the good things you're doing, if it's not for me, if I'm not first, then you're missing out on the blessing." And the fulfillment. There's nothing wrong with working hard, with clothing yourself, with having and spending money and eating and drinking. But here's the principle of what we learn. What you pursue is what you prioritize. And can I tell you this? Are you pursuing the one who pursues you, who loves you the most, who cares about you the most? First things first. The last thing we see as we learn from them, is that they misappropriated their talents. 
It says in verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He's so kind. He's so gracious to allow them to reflect and not just to say, you're going to do it, right? He's so good. He says, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. How incredible is it that God would say, guess what? Would you just go do it? Right? That's what it is. It's not good intention. It's godly initiatives. I think a lot of times we look at our standing with God. We say, God, I have such good intentions. Good intentions are just that, though. See, what we need is a church on fire for God who says, I'm going to take godly initiatives. Man, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something. I'm not just going to talk about all the things God wants to do. I'm not just going to talk about how to put God first and foremost. I'm actually going to go do it. Because that's the only time God is glorified and that God can use you. He says, consider your ways, go up to the mountains, bring wood, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. And here's why. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, and on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. They got so busy, they'd forgotten God so much, they didn't even realize that he was the one causing the misfortune on their toil. And can I ask you this? I know the Bible says that God is with you always, and that's so true. But are you with God today? I mean, are you investing all that you, we're simply just stewards of everything. I mean, God gave me everything that I have. He owns it all. My wife, my kids, my house, my ministry, my health, my finances. God owns all of it. And the Holy Spirit would just convict me and say, now what have I done to steward that because it all belongs to God? What have I done with my life? You see, Jesus Christ came and died for me so I could live for him. See, that's the powerful truth is you're not called just to sit. You're called to be sent with an incredible mission. I think a lot of times we have this illusion that we can control something. If you've got kids, you can't control nothing and you already know it, Right? You be somewhere, they say something, you're like, oh my goodness, can't control nothing. We get in our cars, we drive to work, we come home every single day. And I guarantee you, there's so you in this room who still says, and I'm empty. I have everything, and yet I'm still so empty, and something's missing. God would say, it's me. It's me. You were created for God. Do you understand that? Yes, men, women work, raise kids, build homes, have grandkids, leave a legacy, but leave it all belonging to the Lord because it's in that that you'll find blessing. See, I think so many times we work harder and harder and harder. We hustle, we run, we do all that we can to take care of everything. But God's not in the midst of it, so it causes us twice as much work. If we had just given it to him in the first place, guess what? It would have been fine. Maybe things aren't going life when you're right today because God's not first. There's a stat that are out there that I looked up. Some different websites. Uh, I can send them to you if you'd like. But I just looked up and said, man, what truly does the church, the body of Christ, God's doing incredible things here, right? Uh, and I love this church. I'm so thankful for it. But I looked at just the typical church in America. And I said, hey, how many people in the church actually tithe and give to the Lord? 
10 to 25%. I know you don't like talking about money, but the Bible talks about it, so I'm going to talk about it. How many people in the church actually serve in the church? Man, can I tell you that we're desperate for volunteers right now? Man, I don't know if you've seen it, but our preschool kids and student ministry, it's exploding. We're out of space. God continues to just bless it and bless it. This battery's been broken like three times already, right? Man, we need people who will come alongside what God is doing. who will say, you know what? The time is now. God is moving now and here in this place, and I want to be a part of it. Man, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Man, you call me, I will find you something to do that you will enjoy. But the statistic is only 20 to 45% of people who regularly attend church are involved in it. Man, there's work to do, church. We're out of space. We're out of leaders. Man, we, we don't even have anywhere to put people anymore, right? I'm so thankful for our pastor, the vision he has about what we're going to do next, right? The next building, the next opportunity. What does God want to do next? Man, we need people who will champion us and say, hey, let's be about the kingdom of God today. The last one I looked up was just a research on sharing faith. This will be on the screen for you. And they just basically asked 2,000 people. They just said, hey, has a Christian ever shared with you one-on-one -on -one any of the following? Man, has a Christian ever shared how a person becomes a Christian? Only 29% of 2,000 people ever heard someone tell them what it means to be a Christian. 35%, a few more, people talked about the benefits of becoming a Christian, but they didn't share the gospel always. The last one, 33%, people talked about the church. Man, the church is awesome. The church is great, 33%. But then the staggering one that said 40% of people have never heard any of these things. And you have an incredible testimony that the Creator, God Almighty, saved you. And it ought to be the first thing that comes out of our mouth when we see people is to bless them to speak to them the gospel, to share who God is. And once again, the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, Cody, how many people have you shared one-on-one -on -one the gospel with this year? Anybody in the same boat? How many people have you led to the Lord? How many people have you truly discipled one-on-one? -on -one? Because yes, I preach from a stage, but in my, my private life, right, am I a witness for the Lord? And what would God do with that kind of faithfulness, church? If every single person in here today said, man, God's going to be first in my life today. The most fortunate on their trials, I mean, the words of Jesus echo Matthew 6, 13, one of our pastor's favorite verses. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Can I tell you this? Man, I know life is hard. I mean, I know that you've got to take care of things. You've got to plan things. You've got to have things in order. But can I tell you that God's already handled it for you? Man, see, here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey, before this verse, he says, look at the birds of the sky. I mean, look at the flowers of the ground, the lilies. Does God not provide for them? These things that are just creation that have no soul? How much more, as the pinnacle of his creation, does mankind, his own children, have a heavenly father who not only sees them but cares about them and provides for them? You see, God wants us to be so free to focus and put him first, that we're on task every single day for the kingdom of God. We don't have to worry about anything else because God's got it handled. Jesus urges followers to seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that God sees them, that God cares for them. 
And here's what I love. After all of this, God's gracious. Because even after all of this, there's a remnant that revered and repented. And look at what happens when the people of God put God first. It says in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you. Don't you want to hear God say that? Man, don't you want the work that you do for God to come and bless that? And God's saying that that's the biggest lesson for us to learn, right? Is that whenever God is the biggest thing in our life, he is the best thing in our life, and he blesses every part of our life. May God is the biggest thing in our life. When he becomes that, you understand that he is truly the best thing in your life, and he blesses everything that you do for him. It says, I am with you, declares the Lord. Here's what I love. Man, it's so powerful. So the Lord stirred up the Spirit. Come on, church, don't you want the Spirit to stir inside of you this morning? Man, don't you want to be on fire for the things of God? Can God not save today? Can God not do a work today? Can God not restore marriages and homes and reconcile? Can he not use Alexander, Arkansas, New Life Baptist Church to turn the world upside down for his name and his glory? Can God not do that? Is he not big enough for that? Somebody want that today? Man, somebody passionate about the things of God today? Man, our God is so big. Do we pray big? Do we truly believe? It says the spirit of Zerubbabel was stirred up. The son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And when they were stirred up for the works of God, guess what? They came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. It's time to work, church. It's time to put God first. There's an illustration really quickly. I'm going to do this quick because I know we're out of time. Illustration about a guy who was leading a time management seminar. He took a big glass jar and he put big rocks inside of it. He filled it up to the brim and he said, hey, is it full? And like us, we'd probably all say, yeah, that's, that's all you can put in there. He grabs a bag of gravel, pours it in there, fills it up, shakes it up. He looks at the class once again and says, hey, is it full? And they said, no. He said, good, you're catching on. He took a bag of sand, poured it in, shook it up once again. He said, is it full? And they said, no, of course not. He said, that's right. So he poured a glass of water in there, and the thing was completely full, right? No more room for anything. He said, what's the point of the story? They said, you can always fit more. He said, nope. They said, you always got time for something. He said, no. He said, the whole point is I had to put the big ones in first. Can I tell you that I think a lot of us, have filled our lives with everything but left out the big thing. See, it's only when we put God in first that everything else falls in place. That's the only way we get them in because God is big. God is mighty. God is the biggest part of our life, and so we've got to start with him first and foremost. Worship team comes back up as we prepare to respond to the Lord this morning. What did the people do? Here's what they did. They placed God back in his rightful place on the throne of their hearts and lives. Can I tell you that some of us in here today, man, we truly just need to come set our face before the Lord at this altar and say, God, you're going to be first in my life, not just today, but every single day. You don't have to wait for tomorrow for the new year. God's giving you a new day today. Man, God can do a work in your life today. I mean, I would just urge you if you're a Christian in here and you've not put God first, other things have come first before God, man, would you just repent? Would you just refocus and say, God, you're going to be first and foremost in my life? 
I promise you God's going to fulfill you and bless you like never before when you keep that promise to him. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't think I've ever put God first in my life at all. And can I just tell you that God's pursuing you today? God is chasing you today. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. And man, you feel empty and like nothing's working, nothing's going right. Or maybe you have it all, but you still realize that something is missing. It's God. You're created for him. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.